Welcome to Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan, and I'm left of center. And I'm Rich, and I tend to lean a little bit more to the right. But the bottom line is, is together we try to look for the balance of what it means to be human in today's world. Uh, welcome to the Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan, and this is my co-host, Rich. Say hello, Hey Rich. there, everybody. Nice to see you again. Uh, and today, we have a really fabulous guest. Um, Ellie Lee and Ellie describes herself as a mystical life coach and to help people guide people on how to transform pain into power, which I love. I love that concept. Um, I found Ellie on Instagram, which is where I find most of my guests or our guests. And uh, it really started, Ellie, with a video that you shared that I commented on. And what I thought is, let's start by having you introduce yourself and then Let's jump into that concept because I think that's a good starting point. So, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you guys anytime. I think we can share a conversation that helps people feel deeper, think deeper um, is always a beautiful thing. Uh, yeah, my name is Ellie, and um, I spent the last 15 plus years of my career chasing the stars in Hollywood. I've been an on camera personality and an actress, and I've lived in LA and New York for a long time. And in 2019, I was at the bottom of the rock bottom. I've always hit rock bottom, but this one felt different. And I heard the calling from the universe to start doing inner child work. And as soon as I started doing inner child work, I realized that I was supremely fucked up and I had no idea what it meant to truly love myself. And I realized that I had no self-worth and thus began the journey of going within and inevitably that became a spiritual journey for me. I never had plans for that. I was, I grew up very religious. I'm a granddaughter of a pastor. I grew up in the church Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And Which so, church? so I grew up um, in a Methodist church, church in New Jersey. Yeah. And so the idea of spirituality to me, I always believed it to be satanic. Right? That's, that's what you get brainwashed with, right? And anything outside of Christianity and Jesus is Satan. And, um, you know, I'm a month into my healing journey and I'm seeing 11-11 everywhere. And I thought that I was losing my mind and I didn't have anybody around me to like ask me, like, tell me like what's going on. So I Googled it and I said, am I crazy? I see 11-11 everywhere and it popped up angel numbers. And thus, you know, the spiritual journey is very bonded with the healing journey because we're coming home to ourselves, the truth of who we are, right? Which is that we are divine beings having a human experience. And so I have been on quite the ride since 2019, and I'm now shifting into deeply going into this path that my soul was always meant here to do, which is mental and emotional healing. And what does that look like? And what does that mean? And how do we actually do it? I And that's a whole, I'm sure we'll get deeper into that. But yes, now I'm a mystical life coach at Masters of Self University, and we work with healing at the energetic root level. Uh, what we teach is alchemy, truly. And I've read about alchemy for a long time. I had no idea what it actually was until I started this work. And so, yeah, I'm a mystical life coach there right now. Yep. Okay. So let me start with sort of a primer. Um, inner child work. Where did you start? Yeah. So uh, my friend had me listen to this woman who has this, she's like, she's very big right now. Her program is called To Be Magnetic. And it's all about manifesting the life that you want but what blocks us from creating the life that we want, right? So that was my introduction that, oh, 
there's blocks here and like there's a lot of unprocessed trauma. And so her stuff was a lot of videos and like me journaling a lot. Right. And so I started to do all of that and like really started to see like, Oh, well, as adults, when we are triggered, it's not adult us that's triggered. It's an aspect of our wounded inner child that's showing up in that moment. Right. And so what she was example of that for our listeners, help help our listeners understand what that means. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Like, I was having a conversation with um, a colleague of mine recently and in the conversation, he started to get angry. And in that moment, I went from being like me, you know, like very powerful and confident in the conversation. And the moment that he turned and shifted his tone, I turned into a very small, young, frightened, flight, fight or freeze mode of myself. And when I dropped in and I connected, I felt a three-year-old me in that moment. So that's what we mean by wounded inner child. It's your inner child, whatever age that was, whether it's the womb, whether it's three, whether it's four, whether it's seven, whatever it is, right? Because think about it from zero to seven, we are sponges, which means all we are doing is looking to others for guidance. And when we are not raised by enlightened parents, I think I can speak for everybody in this room and listening, we're not raised by enlightened parents. What happens is that we absorb everything that they have within themselves, plus society, plus everything else, right? And for me, it was culturally, religiously, all of these things. And so that was the inner child work that I started. Like, why did I have all these issues with money? Why wasn't, why did I keep dating guys that didn't treat me well? Like, what were all of these things? And it was because, oh, there's wounded aspects of me that didn't process the trauma when it happened at whatever age. And she's the one that keeps popping up over and over again. So that's how I would describe kind of like the first level of inner child work. And then what we teach at Master Self University is much deeper than that. But that's what I first started to understand was like, oh, there's a lot of things here that I didn't allow myself to feel. I suppressed and repressed a lot of things. And now it was journaling for me to start to uncover what's actually going on here. Wow. That's, that is even just at that first level where you even go deeper, it's still impressive to understand. I mean, it makes total sense. It's not mystical in terms of like, wow, esoteric, right? It's like, no, that's some real tangible things. I wanted to pivot by saying, you know, I, I, I've just been wrestling with some things that um, my daughter and I both share in common. And um, there's this idea of procrastination and um, you put things off, off, off. And then a lot, a lot of times you'll think, I'm, am I just being really lazy? And my middle daughter, Sarah, said, no, what you're doing is executive dysfunction. So you, one of your reels talks about self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. And here I am knowing that I need to get bills paid or I need to do, I need to do expenses or my daughter needs to do homework and we end up doing something else like call it TikTok. I'll go down and do the dishes. I'll, the, the kitchen will be clean. Nothing else will be done. And yet that's where I, I go to my safe space. So are you telling me that that's possibly something that was also formed in my youth or is there some other kind of um, weird, you know, dysfunction that I've ab- absorbed and picked up along the way? Yeah. Love. Great question. And obviously this is unique for every single individual, Right. But procrastination is what we like to call a behavioral program, right? And as you were talking, I could hear, so I'm going to, I'm going to break this down a little bit for you guys, right? So what we teach and we, what we guide others at Master Self University is a step-by-step process on how to get to the root of why you are the way that you are, right? So we start off with a trigger. So anytime you are pulled out of peace, you are triggered, whether that be a tsunami or whether that be a little poke in the back, anytime you are triggered by a human experience, whatever it may be energies that have not been processed pop up and get activated, right? So when you're triggered, all of a sudden you start running things in your mind, right? We call them mental programs. Those are thoughts. 
those mental programs trigger emotional programs. You start to feel different emotions. Then and that's, let me stop you real quick here because that's an important distinction mm-hmm. is most people think, oh, it's in my mind. It's not your body. Your mind triggers a chemical response in your body. And that's where you get you the emotional content of a trigger that can become literally like you're three years old again. It's not you're remembering something that's stuck there from when it was put there. You're not this age. You're that age. Mm-hmm. And it's a chemical response and that trigger becomes your mechanism for understanding what's wrong. Right. And so when the emotional programs get activated, right? So whatever that may be, physically, this energy has to manifest, which manifests in behavior. So yes. procrastination is a behavioral program. Even as you're talking of doing the dishes, doing that's also an avoidance program. You're avoiding going into what energy is causing you to procrastinate and what energy is causing you to not do what you need to do. So the work that you have to do is get curious about when procrastination is activated, what's underneath all the procrastination? What are you not willing to feel? What are you not willing to look at? Because it goes much deeper than the surface level of, oh, well, people like, I'm lazy. It's not because you're lazy, right? It's much deeper than that. Is it as simple as um, where you might actually get better at meditation, where if you're working on breath work and you have all these thoughts... The beauty of um, the meditation practice is that you go back to the mantra or you go back to the breath and the faster that happens, that means your mind is doing right things. So are you telling me that the minute I feel like I've got to go downstairs and where I think I'm getting water and I'm actually, okay, I got to do the dishes. Is that where I, I, I make a mental note and I get stronger and, and, and work on that and go back to what I'm supposed to and face it head on? Or are there some other recommendations you'd give so I don't yeah. fall into the trap again? So what we teach is how to connect to the center of your beingness, which is your heart chakra. Okay. Meditation, breath work, they're all great tools. I did meditation and breath work for a very long time, and I still was supremely messed up. And I realized it was because I was was using meditation, I was doing breath work, not to feel what was coming up for me. The work that we teach is drop in, connect to your heart chakra, and learn how to open. Most of us are walking around as closed-hearted beings. And what they teach you out there is to get, make sure the mind is slick, make sure that, and it's like the mind was never meant to be the CEO. The heart is meant to be the leader, right? Because we are so mind-heavy, I mean, look at our world, right? Everything people overthink, people are stuck in here, and we get trapped in our mind because that's where we have created safety. And we live in a society that tells you never to feel anything. I mean, literally look at the pandemic. One of the places that were open were liquor stores. It's constantly suppressed. It's constantly avoid. It's constantly distract. It's constantly to numb, which has made us collectively emotionally fragile. So we do anything and everything not to feel what's in there. The warrior's path is, no, you drop in, you connect, and you bring unconditional love. Because what flows through your heart chakra is unconditional. That's the frequency of unconditional love. When you take a moment right before you go to your kitchen and you do things and you drop in and you connect and you open, you start to feel that inner child that's showing up. You start to feel that energy. Bam, your body will remember. That is the emotional program that is activated. And your job in that moment is to open and bring love and feel the depths of whatever that pain is till you feel peace in that moment. And the more you do this, the more, this is what self-love is. People are always like, self-love is a bath. Self-love is like doing my hair. No, self-love is how do you love yourself when you're in the shitter? How do you love yourself unconditionally when you feel shame, when you feel guilt, when you feel unworthiness? That's what self-love is. 
And so this work that I've done constantly, consistently the past two years is every time I'm triggered and a lot of uncomfortable stuff is coming up, I don't push it away. I don't go to my phone. And even if I do go to my phone, I stop, put my phone back because I know that I'm avoiding something that feels really painful. The only so back way- to your story. Yeah. So go ahead and finish that thought, but I want to come, I'll ask the question after. Go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm, it's just bringing love to what is coming up and we've just been conditioned so much to run away from it. And that's what keeps us in powerlessness. That's what keeps us in weakness. That's what has us easily controlled by fear. And it's like, we are divine beings, like divine, magical, powerful beings. We are fractal piece of source and we're all, all out here cowering in the corner, being told what to do and scared of everything. And this shift that we're experiencing collectively as a, a species is let's buck up take divine responsibility of yourself and let's go on home and raise the vibration of earth because this cannot be what we've lived in cannot stay at, in this vibration anymore. Can't earth is not no going to be able to withhold it's, this. It's rebelling. Well, I think that's, yeah. that's what I was talking to rich about. Rich and I talk a lot. I send rich hundreds of ideas cause I'm always kind of diving in to this idea. Um, I think historically Christianity, which is all three of our background, has been so masculinely dominated, which yes. is hyper responsibility. Yes. And it's missing the other half, which is compassion, which is the feminine response. Yes. You don't want one or the other. You want both. Yes. So you want to have a sense of compassion for when you're in the dark, but a sense of responsibility to climb out of the hole. You need both to operate effectively. Yes. And most people are so afraid of their heart that they can't operate from both. And then you become one-sided and that's the problem. That is. So let me, my question to you is what was your trigger sort of not the breaking point, but the one that pivoted you, what, what yeah. happened that pivoted you? So, um, I had always been fairly successful as an on-camera host. I did a morning show on VH1. I was like a big personality on like, and I still hosted MTV show right now. And so I've always, that, that, that side of things always came easy to me. And then acting, I've always wanted to act, but like growing up, like a little Asian girl, like I never saw people that looked like me. So I thought it was impossible for me. And so, but in 2011, I was like, I'm just going to take a leap of faith. And I got obsessed with acting. And so I moved from New York to LA because I signed a contract to host a big show on a big network. And when I got there, I started to feel this pressure of if I don't make it, if I don't become a star, then I'm going to be a failure and there's no room for me being a failure because all I've ever wanted was to be validated and seen and loved by people. Because I was so disconnected from myself, all I sought was tell me that I'm worthy, tell me that I'm this, tell me that I'm that. And every gig that I got, every picture that I posted and people would be like, wow, you're killing it. I would feel validated and I would feel full and I was just chasing that sickness like from everyone and everything. So when I got to LA, I realized like, if I don't get this, then I am nothing. And that's what spiraled me. And I've, I've spiraled my whole life. Like My whole life I have dealt with a lot of extreme sadness and depression, but that was kind of like the cherry on the cake that kind of broke everything, that broke the dam of like, this is not good, Ellie. Like this, is, like I was mentally and emotionally very sick because I wanted so bad to make it. All I wanted was to be a star. All I wanted was fame. All I wanted was for people to know me because of what they saw on the screens and the TV. And that's what prompted me to go into myself. And that was the beginning of everything. The thing that you're bringing up to my mind right now is there are so many comedians who wrestle with their demons. They're amazing on the front end. They know yeah. what they're going yeah. through. 
and I see you, you about Ellie, Elevate with Ellie, right? So, I mean, I'm watching you on this, on this page. I don't know if you're still, are you still doing, help, helping people to host and to be this kind of person you're talking about on the front yeah. end? See, this is amazing because you're, you're broadcasting the joy, the love, the spontaneity, all the fun and, and getting people fired up and then looking like a superstar and behind it, you're still wrestling with all these things and you're looking for this validation. And then I think about the same thing, these poor, you know, comedians, they're brilliant. They're also, you, you understand their pain. They make you laugh and cry, but at the same time, so many of them wrestle and have their demons. And right, if you look at the Saturday Night Live cast, I mean, how many of those poor bastards, you know, took care of themselves? They just died, right? I mean, Gilda Radner, you know, Belushi, you know, and then people like Farley and others who have just blown themselves up. So. Help me with that juxtaposition of how you recognized how cool and amazing you could be on the front, but still needing that validation was not a means to success, that you have to dig deeper and get past that so you can be both and now. How did you bridge that gap? And maybe you could be a, a spiritual clinician for a lot of this, you know, the community, right? Yeah, I, I've just dealt with so much depression. You know, so I would do these cool things. I would get validated by people. But when I was home by myself, I would just cry because Mm -hmm. I knew that even when I got a taste, it wasn't enough and it was never going to be enough because I'm constantly asking other people to fill my well because I wasn't doing it for myself. And let's be honest, the moment someone goes, you did great and they turn around, I'm holding and grasping onto nothing. And so a lot of people that I've witnessed in this industry are very sad. And they, ha- they, don't, they have lives that what they portray is not what they're actually like in real life. I've seen a lot. And I knew that I was chasing something that was so good. It was always going to be unfulfilling. I was, even when I had a great job or a great, great gig, my stress would be, well, what's next? And how am I going to top this? Mm-hmm. And that just, I was just constantly spiraling, constantly spiraling. And then watching people around me, like my friends, blow up on this movie and get casted here and get, and then me like freaking out because I'm not getting what they get and then comparing myself. And it was, it was awful. And now I'm in this place where I've had to have so many ego deaths with my career. So many, so many dark nights of the soul with letting that version of me die. And now when I see people that I know blowing up, I check in with myself and if I'm not triggered, I'm like, beautiful, I'm just healing this more and more and more because I know that that's not the pinnacle. The pinnacle of this experience for my soul, I'm here to evolve. I'm here to evolve as as high as I can, which means I gotta do the hard work to love and transcend everything that keeps me at a very low level of consciousness. So how did you do that? How did you learn to love yourself? Because I, I'm in a hundred percent agreement with you. It all, you got getting over that problem is about changing the source of validation because most people seek out there when in actuality, it has to come from inside because you're, when everybody's validating you, you're happy, but when you're alone, you're not because they did the validation and they're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's sustaining is when it comes from inside. So how right. did you make that jump? So I spent three years of my spiritual journey. When I, when I walked into spirituality, I was like, all right, give it to me. Let's go because I need to heal because I'm a mess. Okay. Like just codependent, attached, people pleasing, unworthy, small, everything. And so everything they threw at me, I tried. 
So I was meditating twice a day. I was taking cold showers. I was going to breathwork class. I went, did plant medicine. I went to women's retreats. I was doing EFT tapping all the time. I was affirmationing myself like every day, all day. I mean, I did everything. And about three years in, I knew everything I'm doing is beautiful, but I'm not actually elevating. Because why is it that when I go on a date with a guy, I'm still so attached and I need him to tell me that I'm pretty. I need him to validate me. Why is it that I'm still doing things on social media where I'm seeking people to see if I'm good enough for them? Why, and why do I still hate my parents? And like, why do I still judge others? Like what is happening? Whatever I'm doing is not getting to the nitty gritty of it. And so one day I started speaking to the universe and I said, I said, listen, I don't know who or what, but I know that what I've done is not the ultimate thing for myself. Please guide me. That's all I said. I would say this constantly, constantly for my highest good, whatever that is. And one day I was in my apartment and I got super triggered. And the only place that I knew how to feel sane was in nature. And so I took my dog into my car and I drove into the mountains and I put in the podcast, Apple search bar, like my mind is going crazy. And this one podcast episode popped up called mental programming. And I listened to it and she's, she's now my mentor. I listened to her speak and it was the most grounded, the most beautiful, like I felt my soul vibrate and saying, this is the next chapter. And what she teaches me and what she teaches so many of us is what does it mean to love yourself? And what it means to love yourself is when the shit comes up, how will you walk yourself through how uncomfortable all of it is? So when my unworthiness comes up, when my shame comes up and I take that moment to open and love all of that shame, all of that unworthiness, and I do this constantly and consistently, what I'm showing my inner child is we're creating safety here. Because what I did in the past was when I'm stressed out, when I'm worried, when I'm in terror, when I'm in anxiety, an inner child is showing up and what do we do? We go to Netflix. We go even meditation. I would literally use meditation as a way for me to not feel what was coming up. I would use all of these things as a way for me not to feel that was dishonoring her and that's dishonoring me. That's not love. Self-love is when it comes up and when you arrive, three-year-old me, zero-year-old me, whatever, how will I love you and how will I be here for you as you feel everything that you feel? And then taking a step higher, teaching my inner child that what's within me is, is in her. You know, my teacher always says, she's like, your three-year-old self is closer to divinity than your 36-year-old self is. Well, they and, naturally are. Yeah. And, and, and our, it, what we do, a lot of inner child work out there is coddle your inner child, like, you know, be there for them and let them know you got them. It's like your inner child is a powerful being of the light. Like teach them to come back to themselves and let them know I'm right here with you. We're doing it together. And that was the game. Like that was the game changer for me of like, oh my God. And then connecting to my innate t- divine power, like, in the past two years, I've been doing this work. The moments I touch my power, I'm like, that's who you are. And this is just the beginning. Beautiful. Let's keep going. That's so amazing because when I was visiting Jonathan um, just this last week, I saw his grandson, Caden. And this Casey, kid yeah. has awe and wonder. And you just mm-hmm. want to be around him. You want it to entertain him. You can feel his yeah. tapped into this. I mean, he's not even yes. free. You know it. You you can feel it. You you know that a kid, like in a restaurant, can have the entire restaurant is like focusing and smiling and waving, and they they, they feel it in turn, you know, kind of uh, warmed by it too. So yeah. um, I, that is that's an amazing contract because you know they actually say we actually lose our IQ as we go through elementary school and all that 
thing. And when you look at what Einstein says, it says imagination is more important than knowledge, right? Mm. And that's what I think we absolutely need to go back to because what we're finding is these things that sound kind of crazy, they're actually really kind of cool. And ancient peoples knew it and we've forgotten it and we've lost it, right? I saw, you guys have probably seen the meme, but it's just, it came out like, or at least I saw this week is the human body needs four to 500 repetitions to establish a habit. Mm-hmm. But in play, it needs 20. Mm. Think about that. That's a pretty profound idea. And a child, what do they know how to naturally do? Just play. Mm-hmm. Because life is just discovery. It's a different way of operating because they're not disconnected from their heart. Right. They're deeply connected. They just, so up until nine, you have no prefrontal cortex or no, it's undeveloped. And so you're living predominantly as a feeling being. And that's why when trauma happens, you yeah. don't know how to process it if yes. you don't have a healthy, mature adult to help you process it. Yeah. And so the easiest thing to do is just to store it in our bodies. We, right. we rarely let it go because we don't have the understanding. And then, so child work is just work where we go back and help that child realize, oh, you could handle it. Yes. You could. Yes. That's it. That's all work is, is understanding you're still alive. And to change the assessment, you can never change the event. You can only change the assessment of yourself in the event. That's all you can change. Because in that moment of trauma, you're making an assessment that I'm not valuable. Yeah. It's not right, but it's what you feel because, oh, I'm being hurt or I'm being harmed or whatever it is. And so to go back, because trauma doesn't have to be, I was abused or raped. It doesn't have to be that. It's the assessment you make. And so child work is going back and saying, oh, I thought I was worthless. Mm -hmm. And then you practice that worthlessness for 20 years. It's a rote habit. Guess what? You're going to get triggered all day long. So Ellie, what is what was the moment when you felt like you were getting it? So for our listeners who were like thinking on the outside going, you know what? I have my triggers and I don't really want to face them, but I really want to go on this journey. When did you know that you really were like things were changing and it was getting better? Yeah. So I was in, so I took a six month course to become a mystical life coach. And the first month I was in it, I went to Maui with my family which like, you know, anytime you go on vacation with your family, it's a lot of triggers, a lot of triggers. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. Yeah. I've always had a very difficult and up and down relationship with my mom and the whole half of the first half of the vacation, I just couldn't be near her. Like everything she said, everything she did just annoyed me. It made me upset. And every night I would go to the waters in Maui and I would just cry. Because I wanted so much to love her. Like, I want to love my mother. And yet there's so much resentment. There's so much, like, anger. There was so much there that was blocking me from just loving her, right? And so one night, it was like a third night that I would just walk by myself on the beaches. And I'm sitting there and I'm just, like, connecting and opening my heart. And it hit me like like a building. The reason why I couldn't love my mom was because I, I didn't know, I didn't, I couldn't love me. How can I lo- love another being if I couldn't even love the fact that I had all this resentment, I had all this hatred, I had all this anger. And that was the first like aha moment into, oh, let me love all of this 
so that I organically can create this beautiful, unconditional love for her where I don't need her to apologize. I don't need her to change. I don't need her to do anything if she doesn't want to. That's her choice. My job is let me do what I need to do that lives within me so that I can just love you for who you are and meet you where you're at. You don't need to meet me because her, me, me needing her to meet me, that's attachment, that's codependence. That means I need you, right? Instead of you're perfect, I'm just going to love and transcend all of this and keep working on loving all of this. And it's deep. There's a lot there. It didn't happen over a month, you know? This is, I'm still, I'm actively working on it. But that was the moment where I was like, this is what the work is. This is what it is. What, did you, what shifted for you? Did you just make a decision? Is that what you did? I was just crying and I was, I was like, what do I do? And then I connected and all I could feel my soul was saying was like, it's because you're not loving you right now. And I went, yeah, you that's got what it. it is. Yeah. That's what it yeah, is. You got it. That, that's the second time that it seems to me, this is because this is where I'm trying to get this as, as a practical thing, because you got to your wits end after ice baths or cold showers. You do all the things every stare at the sun eat organic, right? You, you did all- I of, did stay at the side, okay, Rich, I did. <laughs> all of a sudden, one day it's like, universe, God, please yeah. just help me what to do. And in this case, you were having the same thing. You went out and there's that ocean and there's that beautiful space. Maybe you got grounded, you know, there's grounding too. Yeah. And then you're crying, but then it comes to you again. So I think what I'm trying to, I see a parallel here. I see a couple consistencies and- but I just know so many people, like my daughter who struggled with, you know, I mean, we've all been raised Christian, right? But so many times she's reached out to God and said, God, I'm, I, I'm, I need some help. Are you there? I'm in this terrible place and there's no answer, right? Yeah. And so what I'm asking you is when you talk to um, your clients or what you would, what would you tell our audience when we feel like we're at our wits end at the end of the rope and we're still calling out and it's not happening? What do you, what do you do? Well, when we reach out to God and we beg God to give us an answer, help us, you're separating yourself from God. So we're, you're living in separation when in reality source is us. We are source. We are one. Yes. And so what Christianity religion teaches us is Jesus and God is separate from you. You are lower than you are inferior to them. So you need them in order for you to be healthy or to be rich or whatever. And that's what keeps us in separation consciousness right? Yes. We've entered the age of Aquarius, which is now about oneness consciousness, understanding that the God you keep calling out for is the God that's within you. So the work that we have to do is connecting back to that, is opening this to is, that. This has been Rich, parallel. this is I am. Yes. This, this is yes. I am. So yes. Rich and I have been in conversation for probably about a year and a half of the, at an energetic level, at the unified field level, there is no separation yes. energetically right. between us. Yep. And so what does that make me? That me that makes me you and you me and we're both one and the same. Mm -hmm. So that and that's at a consciousness level, at the unified field level. What we live in is the dichotomy that separates that. Yep. Physically, the materialism actually separates us and we think we're actually separate. Yep. But from a Christian construct, you th this is what we've been talking about is you're taught never to say equality with jesus is normal you you yeah. it's almost like subjugate yourself to the point of you know i am the worm as i don't know who said that i forget who said that and but that construct has stayed historically with christianity for a very long time yeah. now science is discovering hey you're wrong <laughs> you're wrong 
there is no separation. There is this unified field and you are part of it. But it's hard for people to get over that hump to say, because Jesus said, I am. Mm -hmm. If Jesus as a human being can say it, and we're called to follow, and this is the conversation, am I, I am. And I've made the decision, yes, I am. And here's what I think it does is I think it inherently turns on the correct identity that allows you to operate from love. Right. That's it. You know, that book, um, Conversations with God, um, Neil Donald Walsh asks God, like, you know, basically, like, what's the answer? Like, what can we do? And God starts laughing and he's like, the problem with humans is that we are, we shit on ourselves so much that we can't possibly believe what we are. So we deny it and we go through the, the extreme opposite. And it's like, and that's, that's the problem with religion too. It's like, we are the worm. We are unworthy. I need you to save me. I like, that's what keeps us exactly separate and separation consciousness is constant duality. It's you versus me. It's you against them. Everything is bad or wrong. And then oneness is how do we live in oneness with all? Like, how do we come back to the remembrance that we are all cut from the same cloth? Yes. And what we are is bigger than what they've ever told you. And then how do we do the work to come back to that? Well, we saw this, um, I don't know, it was a post a while back on, on, uh, on Instagram. And it's like, this guy's saying, you know, he just hit himself or he knocked something over. He goes, you effing idiot. Right. And then, or like, God, what, what a dipshit you are. And like, he basically said, now ask yourself this question. If your friends called you that and you were hung around them for, for doing the same thing again and again, would you be friends with them? Hell no. Why the hell do you talk to yourself that way? Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we, we, we can rephrase for that. I've been told in another version though of manifesting that you don't want to say I'm a millionaire because I'm not necessarily a millionaire yet, but you can say I'm successful. I'm friendly. I'm, I'm, I'm appreciated. I, I appreciate others. Right. And so I still believe th- there's that idea of fake it till you make it. And that's what I think gives people the hard time because they're saying, I'm throwing it out there kind of as a wishy-washy, let's, let's see what happens. And I don't know if I really fully believe it. And so I think getting to that point where we've, it, it's almost like having that road to Damascus experience or on the Mount of Transfiguration, you're actually seeing the divine nature of, of Christ. And then you finally get it. Well, maybe even Peter didn't get it because he's like, hey, let's build a, let's build a booth for uh, Moses and Elijah too. But what I'm getting at is what do you recommend you know, outside of like psychedelics, which help us tap into the unified field, what are the ways can people slowly get to that place of self-love? I mean, you've been talking and hinting at it, but even going back to that conversation in the kitchen where you say, I'm dropping into my heart, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm stopping, dropping into my heart right now. Mm-hmm. Is there something other than your clinical, you know, uh, like, you know, help with, with individuals that you could give that could give you practical advice to kind of tap into that heart when you're in that moment, something you'd yeah. recommend? learn how to open and connect your heart chakra. It is the center of our beingness. You can do this anywhere, everywhere at any time. Like literally when I'm triggered and I'm cooking or I'm triggered and I'm in a Zoom meeting, all I do is open and I drop in and I connect and I just let whatever is coming up, just let it flow through. Just let it flow through. 
there aren't moments in our everyday busy lives where we can really like, if, if you're in like a, having a crazy busy day and your daughter triggers you or your grandson triggers you or whatever, and you can't sit there and do the work, but all of this anxiety and anger that's coming up. Okay. In that moment in real time, learn how to drop in open and connect and let whatever is coming up, let it flow through your unconditional love. Literally the more it's like building a muscle, you know, you don't go to the gym one day and all of a sudden you got biceps, right? You go to the gym, over and over and over again until you see cuts, right? Until you see that muscle. And so this work is about that. And the more and more you do it, the better and better you get where I can be in conversation with you guys right now and be triggered and drop in and connect and open. How how do you, um, how did you start that process? Mm Like, oh, how did, I know yeah. you were trained, but how did yeah. you start growing that process? Because here's the problem that I see. I've been working with people for 25 years and helping them do this kind of work. And here's what I found is people first have to get to a level of courage. Mm-hmm. And usually that courage is centered around loving themselves. You mm-hmm. develop a meaningful story of I'm worth fighting for before you develop courage. And then once you have courage, you can stay in that space because here's the reality. When you do work, it's going to bring up painful shit. Mm-hmm. Like with yes. your mom, it brought up really painful shit. Yeah. And if you run from that, yeah. and that's the key is you've got to develop your courage first and get to a place that comes from I'm worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a hard one for people to, because they probably came from a story that says, no, you're not worth it. Yeah. You know, right. A lot of people live from very dysfunctional homes mm-hmm. and they didn't come from that frame. Yeah. How do you, how, how, so how did you grow that beyond like the first step? What you're saying now is you, you can stay in it, but that was a journey. How did you grow that journey? Every day. Every day. I would take, yeah. Oh yeah. Every day. And every time I open and drop into my heart, it looks and feels different because of whatever I'm moving through that day. But I don't skip time because that means that I'm neglecting myself. If I go two days without connecting and dropping in, what's gathered in the two days, I feel like I'm about to pop. And so I take time for myself, whether that's 15 minutes, whether it's an hour, whether that's two hours, like every single day, like just like you brush your teeth, just like you pee every single day showing up for yourself. Like that's what it takes. Like people, people always want the easy way out. Like, just let me have it easy. And it's like, no, the warrior's path is not easy. That's why many people put his toe in and they're like, I'm out. And because the other life, let's be honest, being unconscious is easier because you, you can't see everything within and then externally. Right. So most people like, I'd rather go to when I was fast asleep. I've had friends who are like, I'm not doing this. And they back out and they go back to like the way they used to be. And that's fine. Right. That's what you choose. But for me, like my soul is like, don't you ever do that? Like we didn't come here for that. I didn't come all the way to this planet as hard as it is, as difficult it is to be here to just like half ass it. Like I came here to go all the way and going all the way is challenging. And I'm sure you guys can relate to this on many levels, but what keeps me going is because I'm here to fulfill a mission and that mission is inward. All right, let me shift gears a little bit, Rich. Let me me, uh, jump into the concept that we started with, which is this idea of sort of a new age or age of Aquarius. Yeah. How do you see that and help our audience understand that? So if they didn't understand anything about age of Aquarius or a new age or a feminine age, 
how do you see that and how would you communicate that? Age of Pisces, right, which was Jesus times up until literally this year, we were in Age of Pisces, which is all about me versus you, which is all about let me step on you to get to the top. It's all separation. It's all we're not in this united together. It's all uh, what's that phrase? Yeah, very like and like the, the divine masculine is they're there to be the protectors. They're there to be security and safety. And the divine feminine is the one that leads, right? The divine feminine goes, here's what we're going to do. And divine masculine goes, all right, let me go execute that. Right. Right. So we've been, like you guys said, very imbalanced, right? Age of Aquarius is not me against you. It's we, it's oneness. It's we are. That was my vision, Rich. Yeah. So I told, I was telling Rich the other night, I I walk my dog every night Mm -hmm. and sometimes I have just these weird visions. And this one just caught me because Mm. it was very crystal clear what I think the masculine world, the hyper-masculine world is that we're going to swing the pendulum 180 degrees and it's going to turn like almost like how you can flip the poles of the earth. Yeah. And it's going to go that women are going to dominate and men are going to be subjugated. That's not the age of Aquarius. No. At all. No. And so I have this vision of a much, uh, it's, it's that idea of com- the age of Aquarius is going to be compassionately responsible because the women are smart enough to realize they need the men. Men are not smart enough to realize they need the women. Right. Yeah. That's why the women are better leaders. Yes. I mean, all consulting, all consulting comes to that conclusion. Women are just better leaders. They are yes. because they operate from the heart and, and they need the creators. heart. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They are we, literally portals like for beings and souls to come. We are the creators we create. Right. And so the divine feminine is rising, but what we see constantly over and over is the pendulum swinging. Like even in the spiritual world, like I have to back out because I like, this is crazy what's happening right now. And like the pendulum is swinging, but I do truly am in the knowing that we will get to a place where we are balanced, but it's going to take a lot of work to get there. And, you know, you too are very, you are not like most men out there. Men have a very long way to go on the healing path because of what we've done to men, right? Because they're not allowed to feel anything. And then patriarchy and toxic masculinity and all of these things. Women, the saving grace for us is that we are allowed to feel. We just get labeled as like, we're crazy and like we're unhinged, but at least we get to feel, right? And you're right in exactly that. It is supposed to always has been a matriarchy, but we've been in a patriarchy, which is why we're in this mess in the first place. That's excellent point. I will say that Hollywood, I have seen a rise of more masculine and trying to be better men without it being a negative on Twitter, because Mm. the truth is Hollywood has been portraying men as a bunch of weak, bumbling idiots. Like Homer Simpson is a classic example. You look at Hollywood and Disney and even the movie Brave and, and, and a lot of the guys are just the big doofuses and I don't, and, and media is very powerful. And then, you know, to be fair though, um, you know, it's so funny because life is about when you work on things together and you succeed together, only the ego prevents you from enjoying that success as, as, a, as a unit, right? And it seems to me like, um, I feel like we are moving towards a better vibration that that people are waking up and recognizing yeah. and it even and it, it's even the government right we're actually seeing swaths of people say we've had these institutions in place and you know what it just seems to me that they're not exactly on the up and up with us there seems to be a lot of kind of big power you know including like 
all these, you know, leaders that seem to be wanting to change and make things work for us in their little, like, you know, Petri dishes. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to re- rebel and, and, and go against that. Is that not what you're seeing? Oh, yeah. I mean, the age of Aquarius is the crumbling down of all systems that are corrupt. You know, Good. we're just, they oh. say literally psychics and channelers, they all say the same message. Basically, till 2030, we're just going to be seeing a lot of things fall. And right now, Hollywood is in that for sure um, because of greed, because of selfishness, because of all of that. And not only that, but like the public education system, the medical system, um, our food, like people are awakening to like most of our food is poison. Our water is poisoned. You know, the chemtrails in the sky, people are waking up massively and it's profound to watch. Like the way that I see what the collective collective is moving through is through TikTok because people are, there's no, there's no, like, you can't say this, you can't do that. There is some shadow banning for sure, but there is more freedom on there. And what I see is like, oh man, people are massively waking up on a huge scale. And it's, it's beautiful, but it will be ugly before we reach. And who knows what we will experience in our lifetime, you know, but I truly believe like or your generation, the younger generations, we are here to be the revolutionaries. We are the pioneers of shifting humanity to a higher dimension. Right. And that's hard work. I always say like, I think people in the future are going to study people like us people. And they're gonna be like, they lived through that. They, They went through all of that. And it's like, yeah, and it was not easy, but we are at the beginning of all of that. Yeah. So, Ellie, I was telling uh, Rich the other day, mm-hmm. and I'm not making this claim, but I am thinking about it. Yeah. Is within scripture, there's the idea of the tribulation is seven years. And I think that's ultimately what this is. Mm-hmm. is it's the shift. It's not going to look like what we've historically thought it would look like. Mm-hmm. It's this shift into a, an age. And we're, we're literally shifting an entire human structure for another age that the millennium in scripture is this idea of a thousand years age. Uh, I, I don't know if that's what's happening, but it just is really close. Because when you go from 2023 to 2030, that's seven years. Mm, yeah. Like there's something there. It doesn't mean it's exactly what we thought it was, but it's. Because I think this shift into a new age is, is like you said, it's going to bring down corrupt systems. Yes. And well, the gates are going to be open. Yeah. yeah. What's that, Larry talked about tuning in, turning on and dropping out, right? He wanted to abandon this stuff too. And he wanted everybody to take acid so they could open up their minds. And so there's been, you know, a little bit of fits and starts, right, to, to get onto this, I think, as we're exiting this. Now, people have also talked about we're in the Kali Yuga, but the Kali Yuga is 420,000 years. So I don't know what kind of dice roll you can throw in terms of a Hindu um, standpoint, but the Kali Yuga is also chaos, right? So Mm. there's a lot of different things. And going back to what you're saying, Ellie, it is going to be a little crazy at first because with also, also the idea that things are being opened up more like Twitter. There's no banning anymore. People that, you know, there's stuff that's on Twitter today that you would like look back, you know, before Elon took over and you're like, that would be banned, right? Mm. And now it's out there. So at the same time, even though we've got this freedom, there could be a lot of disinformation out there too. And there could be a lot of confusion, but that's when we go to the heart. If we get to that heart and our hearts are, are the same and we're the same cosmic dust and we're aligned, yeah. Then that's where the truth comes in. That's where that intuitive nature does find truth in its own right. And that's where I think we're aiming to get to. Yeah. 
And we have to remember that emotions are not feeling our heart because emotions can be unhealed stuff, unhealed trauma, that's pain, right? So we have to get really clear on like, is there fear here, right? You can ask someone be like, all right, what does your heart say? And they'll be like, I'm scared. And it's like, your heart doesn't, isn't fear. That's a wound that you have that you need to go and heal. And so the more that we do that, the more that we connect to our soul, the more we connect to our intuition deeper and deeper and deeper. Yep. Yeah. So Ellie, where, uh, how do people find you? What is your real focus in helping people? We've got about eight minutes. Uh, So I want to spend the time kind of helping our listeners understand your journey and how you're helping people. Yeah. So I'm a mystical life coach at Master Self University. So if anybody wants to work with me one-on-one, whether it's a three-month course, or we also do a highly sensitive person four-month course, and there's a whole video program, and then you meet with me once a week, and I take you through the energetic experience of what you're learning every week throughout the whole um, program. And I'm there to guide you to open your heart and go deeper and deeper to getting to the root of why you're triggered and why your colleague is pissing you off and why your husband is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Uh, I guide people that on that one-on-one. I also coach group classes and we do the exact same work just within a group setting. And uh, you can find all of that on my Instagram and my TikTok at Lee, And you can set up a free call with me there. Awesome. Yeah. Why do you love helping people? Why, why has this been your journey? Because I know what it's like to not want to be on earth. I know what it's like to not want to be in this existence. I know what it's like to feel the depths of nothing. And it's a painful place. And for a long time, I haven't talked, I didn't talk about this in the podcast, but I was on antidepressants for 19 years um, because I was so messed up and I kept going to my doctor and she just kept putting me on more and more and more and then different ones and then different and more and more. The reason why I got off it was because of this work. And it's, I'm, I'm almost at eight months getting off of antidepressants and it's been a disaster of a ride. It has been brutal for me, but I keep going because I know that I'm bringing myself back home by not being on these things. But think about how many people are on this for 20 plus years. And I was relying on these things because I thought I needed it to be okay, to just survive. And now I know I was just afraid to feel what was in there. And now I know what to do with all of the pain that comes up. And so I'm just in a place where there are so many people like me. We all come here with gifts, right? I think one of my gifts, for whatever reason, my soul came here to experience and feel sadness on the levels that, on the depths that I do. It has not been easy for me. But now I know how to relate to people and be there with people as they walk through the trenches because I've been there and I keep going there and I keep loving everything that's there. And so I'm just here to help just like many of us are to assist humanity to like, let's not get lost in suffering. Pain will always be a part of the human experience, but we don't have to suffer. And this is the work that I'm so passionate about and so called to do. Like now I see like my ego wanted me to chase the stars. And my soul was always veering me to another way. And I was so resistant. And the moment I said, okay, is when everything fell into place. And now I'm like, oh, I came here to be a leader of the light. And, and the only way for me to be a leader is to ignite that light within myself. Your, your, your uh, soul wants you to chase better stars. Right, exactly. Yes, exactly. That's it. Yeah, That's like, it. Like, there are better stars. That's the hard part. Exactly. Yeah. When you're stuck in that old space, you can't see the new space. That's right. And once you get a taste, it's hard to go back. It's like that scene in the matrix of he, you know, what's his name? Wanted to 
insert himself back into the matrix. That's once you've tasted it, that's the harder path because you're always going to have that residual. It's easier to go forward, but a lot of people get stuck in the reality is it's just easier to live in dysfunction. It's not better. It's never better, yeah. but it is easier yeah. because it doesn't require work. You yeah. basically get to become a vegetable yeah. in that space. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So Ellie, one of the things that I've noticed is that when I, I do meditate, I meditate a couple times a day, yeah. I do TM. And one of the things I notice when I'm in a group setting, it, it's actually just easier and it feels better. And, you know, it's been proven that when like a hundred or a thousand people get together, they can actually reduce crime rate and stuff in your mind as mm-hmm. you're envisioning helping yourself and fixing you you fixed your heart and now you fix others how do you envision this this spreading and being part of this age of aquarius how are you envisioning and and what is your what is your vision and what does this future look like to you uh, over the next six months to 10 years or whatever yeah i mean i think that there's no um coincidence that i've obviously been on camera for so long And I really believe that all the skill sets and all that experience is going to be coupled with this career, new career path and what my soul came here to do, which is in the emotional and mental healing space. And so I just see myself as a speaker and I see myself just talking to the masses. It's something that I really feel deeply about. I've always been great at giving class presentations in high school. And then I started really like hosting events and like speaking at events. And I'm like, oh, this is my jam. Like for some reason, it comes very naturally to me. And so I just want to be in a place where I can really talk to lots of groups of different people. And also like I, I came here Asian for a reason. And, you know, I'm, I'm Korean and South Korea, we have one of the highest suicidal rates and we don't talk about our feelings at all. And so I really believe that there's a reason why I look the way that I do. And I want to help, you know, my people to like, just really like feel and go into what's coming up and don't ignore it anymore and don't suppress and don't drink it away. And so I think there's a lot um, that's going to come up for me. And honestly, I'm just take it day by day because (laughs) the journey is the journey ain't easy. And so I'm just in constant, constantly coming back to just be in presence, Ellie because what's here right now is what you need to work on and love. And, um, but yeah, I think those two will marry and couple each other in a beautiful way. And I'm, I look forward to what that's going to look like for me in the future. And it's also important to say that you can't do the journey alone. You cannot do the journey alone. It requires people around you. You've got to find people who can coach you through the shit because the shit hurts. Yep. It does. When, you, when you're just starting out doing work, it freaking hurts. And you have to learn how to, to be able to handle yeah. the pain that you're already feeling. Right. You're already, that's, the, that's the key about work is you, you're already feeling the pain. It gets triggered whenever it wants to. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, but once you start surrounding yourself with good coaches, good mentors, good people around you who think the same that believe you're worth it that's when it gets a lot easier yep yeah i mean there are you know there are teachers sent here for a reason you know people who are like i don't need anybody it's like well what's going on there let's go deeper into that because people are meant here to help and guide like and let's all do this together yeah yeah yeah. Ellie, this has been an absolutely fantastic episode. You're going to help a ton of people, I can tell. I love it. And uh, I wish you the absolute best. Rich, any final words? You know, um, I, I, would, I just wanted to mention, 
I, I think we want to finish positive, but I was going to say that the suicide rate in South Korea, yeah. South Korea is one of the largest per capita Christian populations in the world. If you actually look at South Korea, Jonathan, I don't know if you knew this, but per capita, wow. no. it's like dominant, like 80%. It's not like 20% or 50 That I don't know if that combined with the honorific culture and uh, that complex has this kind of coming together. And I think, you know, Ellie, you might be a catalyst for changing that mindset. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I still love Jesus. I think he's amazing. Yeah, um, me too. Right. But um, we've got to, like, you know what they say, you know, it's like do the same old thing the same way and expecting a different outcome. It's going to be insanity. Right. So I'm hoping that, uh, that you can make an impact um, back in, in the homeland, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I, there's definitely um, lots of, of hurting people that could, could use some help. So yeah. let's, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. And lastly, I'll say this really quickly. You know, patriarchy really took Jesus's teachings and took a big dump on it and ruined it. And Jesus came here to teach us what we all are, which is the divine, which is unconditional love. And the more and more we come back to that, I'm sure Jesus will be up there being like, oh, finally, they got it. <laughs> exactly. All right, everybody, this has been Living in the Matrix. This has been a fun episode. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we we had an absolute blast. Uh, To all of our listeners, please review and comment. We'd love to hear your feedback. And uh, we will see you next week. Much love, everybody. Bye. Bye.